we are ending off this year with truth is an absolute. We spoke about truth, and this morning I wanted to explain why exactly it is important for us to speak about this. Why is it important for the next generation, for instance, the younger generation in our midst? This morning we want to speak truth in such a way that the younger generation will understand that this is a topic that's extremely important to understand. I'm going to look at four reasons why and explain that these are four different viewpoints on the word truth. Truth as we know it is supposed to just be truth. But in today's society, there's a massive attack on the word truth. And it's important that we understand why as church we cannot let go of the absolute of who truth is. Now we spoke about this, I know for a fact that all of you know that Jesus is truth. And so that we didn't give away. <laughs> Jesus gave that away. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a scripture that we're going to refer to. He also said that when you live by truth, you will be set free. And so those are two scriptures that we want to look into. Are you with me this morning? This is going to be a sermon that I'm not going to labor. I'm not going to belabor the point. But it's important that we understand these four points. And, and, and we can go into this so deeply but we do anyway in kingdom school. So next year in kingdom school, we will tackle exactly this and stick to absolute truth. I want you to remember the names Lou Wallace and Muammar Gaddafi. Okay, so you know the two. Most of you will know at least the one. Um, Gaddafi, you will know. Um, he was a, a person who did a lot of evil. He's the modern-day Hitler, almost, of Libya. And it was not too long ago, it was in 2011, that he was killed and taken out, basically from international forces that stood up against him, the NATO forces that took Gaddafi out. Um, Libya was an Italian, um, what do you call it, colony. And, uh, and then a lot of wrong was done in Libya, and the UK got involved. But we'll go into that story a bit later. I want to explain something about truth when it comes to that name. Okay, so you remember Lou Wallace and Muammar Gaddafi. We're going to speak about those two a bit later on. Okay, remember them because we're going to speak about these four different views on the word truth. Okay, we're briefly going to touch on each and every one of these, and then I'm going to give you scripture. And I'll speak about these two names. And that's going to be it. And then we're going to celebrate the true truth, which is Jesus, by eating of him and drinking of him. Because that's the year, the, the year of 2023. That's what we're going to end off with. Firstly, we need to understand the word truth from a secular perspective. Now, this is truth is a perspective. It's my opinion. So secular approach to truth is that my truth is not necessarily your truth. And this we see a lot going on in the world today. So we need to understand the reason why as church we cannot give up on the word truth is that first one, the secular approach to truth, is that it's perspective. And your perspective might not be mine. Your truth might not be mine. 
And that's just not the way it works. So when we hear your truth might not be my truth, all you can say is, well, the truth will always be the truth. So I don't know if you believe in the truth, but I believe in the truth. Therefore, my truth is the truth. It's important that we stand, not our ground, but his ground when it comes to this. Now, we're going to look into each and every one of these, the religious approach, which is truth as a tradition. So we've always done it this way, so therefore we must continue to do it this way. And so therefore truth is also not a religion. The third one is the scientific approach, which is truth as facts. Now I've seen a few facts. I've read a few of my handbooks when I was a child, and some of those facts have changed in accordance to at least the secular approach, which is the first one. Because of evolutionary thinking and secular humanism, a lot of those facts have now been influenced. So the facts that we read in books is not necessarily truth. And we need to, for the next generation, make sure that we understand. When they come to us and say, here's evolution and here's creation, what do we believe? You can't just say, well, if God chose to use evolution. You can't just say it. It's, it's the easy way out. You need to understand what Scripture says about it because when they read the Bible, no one needs to be a guru to understand what God says in there. And so when you start to add up ages and you start to add up time and you start to add up, there's one thing that we start to recognize. God is big. God is massive. God did things that no man could do. What did he do? He created every single thing in six days. How amazing is that? I don't believe it. Well, then you don't believe truth. Because Jesus himself said it, that in six days, everything was created. Why? He was there. Everything was created through him and for him. And, and, and we don't apologize for truth. Truth is not emotional. Truth is just truth. We might feel emotional when I don't believe that truth because it comes against what I've been trained and I've been taught. But then we need to make sure that what I've been trained and taught is not secular, is not religious, and is not scientific. Now, science in itself is not wrong. I love science. My background is I'm an engineer. And so if it wasn't for science, there's a lot of things I know for a fact would not be standing today would not be extracted today, would not be, you know, created in the way that we understand and know science. But as long as science is based on truth and the absolutes by which he created everything. And so the last one is therefore the biblical approach to this, which is truth is a person. And that is very important for us to look into. So we briefly, are you still with me? We're briefly just going to look at the first three secular approach, truth is a perspective, and then there's two points to this approach. And that is the first one is by consensus. And this is exactly what happened with Hitler and why so many Jews were killed. Because he created the truth. And the majority of people lived by his truth. So that was by consensus. And that was secular approach to truth. And then relativism and situational ethics, which is my truth and your truth. It's important that we know this because this, especially with the younger kids, some are going to come to them and say to them, hey, listen, your truth is not my truth. You live by this, but it's not my truth. And therefore, I have experiential truth. 
Well, then your experience sucks. <laughs> if, if that is, can I help you? <laughs> because you need to understand that if we do not live by truth, you're deceived. And to live a life of deception thinking that you are living a life that is true is in bondage. And it's very important for us to understand that. We're going to go to the second one, and that is the religious approach, which is truth as a tradition. And the first point there is all religions basically teach the same. That's what they say. All religions eventually lead to God. Well, the question then comes in with point number B. Is that monotheistic or polytheistic? You're like, what the heck are you saying? You're like, well, monotheistic, you would look at religions that the world says are religions, and you would go Islam, you would go Christianity, because they place Christianity in religion, and you would have Judaism. Why? Because all of those claim to have one. You would have Allah, and then you would have the Judas calling, you know, God, Yahweh, and then you have Christians, and, and we have one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they place Christianity in a monotheistic religion. But Christianity is not a religion. We need to understand that. We can't go with it to say that Christianity is a world religion. It's not. Christianity is the truth. We live the truth. It's important that we understand this. It's not a religion. You did not select the religion of Christianity to live by as a monotheistic theology. So monotheism, and then we go into polytheistic, and that is when you go into, well, you go into basically the Hirakrishmas and, and, and all of the other religions in the world where you have thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of gods. You can't even say who your god is. You're not allowed to touch the cow because the cow is holy. Uh, you know, when, when you come back in your afterlife and you become a cockroach, it means that, you know, you, you were the lowest form of. So if, there's like people that live by this. Like seriously, there's people around the world that lives by this. And, and, and so the world is filled with false religion. And it's important that we understand in the statement that Christianity is not a religion. So do not fall in the trap of us saying we are monotheistic. Yes, we are monotheistic, but not as a religion. There is one true God, says his word. One true God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One true God. All the other gods are false gods. There is no other God. And so it's important that we understand the second point because the religious approach to truth, you know, we, we have how many stories? I remember the one story of, of um, what was his name? He, he wrote the book Mind the Gap, um, Graham Codridge. He wrote the book Mind the Gap, and it was all about these traditions that we carry over. And he said basically what happened was his mother always, when she had this, um, uh, what do you call a, not a turkey, boat. A leg of lamb. Is it a leg of lamb? Is it a claim? But this is a scar boat. Yeah, you all get the leg of lamb. Is it leg of lamb? But it's not a lamb. <laughs> leg of sheep. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dis hoe kom Engels dier mekaar is. <laughs> Wat te heek, ek praat van een skaap nie, een lam nie. So, um, <laughs> so his, his mother always cut the, the leg of lamb at a certain point and put it in the oven. And and so he always looked at this, and then when, when it was their time to go on, his wife basically learned how to cook from his mother. And so went to her and went like, she wanted to prepare a leg of lamb. And, and she spoke to her. She said, listen, I, I want to understand, how do you do this? And she went like, all you do is you cut it off and you put it in. And, and, and she looked at it and went, why do you cut it off? Is it that, you know, you... Is it because the flavor is then exposed in a certain way? Is it like... And the mother went, I don't really know. It's just my mother taught me how to do it. She said, will you find out for me? I'm, I'm really interested about this. And, and she phoned her mother then, so the grandmother. And she phoned her and went, Mom, can I please ask you, why in the heck do we cut off a leg of lamb? And she was like, no, you, you don't have to. It's just our oven wasn't big enough. So we have these traditions by which we live, and we don't necessarily understand where it comes from. We, we have these stories made up in our minds because of things we learned. This is what the idea of kingdom school is all about. The reason we do kingdom school is to de-religionize, to make sure that when we read the Bible, that you, we actually believe the facts of the Bible, that it's... It's not, well, yes, I know the scripture. Yes, you know, I've gone to church my whole life. There are so many things that really annoyed me in my life because I grew up a Christian in the religion. I went to church every Sunday morning. And then when truth came in on certain topics, I didn't necessarily want to change the way that I had it. Why? Because I wanted to be right. I wanted what I believed to be right rather than now change because I lived by it. Things like baptism. Uh, it's like it's the one and only day in my life I wore a dress. And I have a picture of it. I, I don't need to be rebaptized. I was baptized. Like, well, were you? Or did your parents do something with you? Did you choose or, or, or did they choose for you? Because when we read scripture, that's the first thing you do after receiving Christ. After accepting what he has done for you. After recognizing that you are a sinner. Baptism is the first thing that follows that. So did you, Pierre Ferreira, did you? At the tender age of zero, choose to follow Jesus. Uh, I can't remember. And while sucking my dummy one day, I realized I'm a sinner. <laughs> I wanted Coke rather than milk. Like, no, it didn't work that way. And so the reason I'm saying these things is that we grow up with certain things, and this, this one is massive. And then we come to the scientific approach, which is truth is a fact. We have a lot to do with this lately, where we go into the scientific world 
and you go into global warming and you see what people believe on certain facts that that they produce and everyone wants to make money because money is given to those who goes into the academics and 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 and, and there's certain topics that gets more money than others so as long as you prove this we'll give you money but if you disprove this, and so how many scientists today do we have that, that all of a sudden went into the science, the scientific facts of some of the fossils that they found on dinosaurs? And they went, these fossils still had soft tissue in them, meaning they cannot be millions and millions of years old. Speaking to what? Speaking to creation. Why? Because God did not send Armageddon because he messed up creation, took away the dinosaurs, then made human. No, it didn't work in accordance to what some of the books as facts say. The scientific facts does not line up. And we see it. How many times do we see that? As we venture out into this world, we start to see, hey, this, when people produce their facts, and they have their doctorates. You better listen. Well, it's still not truth. You might then have a doctorate in lying. Because what you just stated is not true. It might be the humanistic, secular worldview that is coming in and, and wants to drive what you are living by. But, but the facts... In the science does not always prove that. So this science is, scientists are not always biased. Science cannot make moral judgments. And there are limits to collecting data. So it depends on what is your worldview. And that is where the last point comes in, which is the biblical approach. Truth is a person. The objective truth exists. John 8 verse 30, 32, which is... And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's John eight thirty-two. Truth exists independent of one's acceptance of him. Independent. Whether you accept truth or not does not change truth. It's not an opinion, and it's not a perception. He is. He is the one that made everything. The absence of truth creates bondage. We, we refer to John 8.32 there as well. Because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. From what? From bondage. So the absence of truth means that we live in bondage. Truth, God's word, is truth. John 17.17 17 and 2 Timothy 3.16. John 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy. Your word is truth. John 17. And to live by truth liberates. Jesus embodies truth. John 14, 6. I am the only way to God. I'm the real truth. I'm the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And for that, as Christians, we never, ever have to apologize. Jesus stood in front of Pilate. During the trial of Jesus, the governor Pilate interrogated Jesus about his kingdom. In his response, Jesus affirmed the spiritual nature of his kingdom and told Pilate, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. To which Pilate cynically answered, 
what is truth. The King of Kings. Now, I want you to consider, are you still with me? Remember, we're still on our way to Lou Wallace and Muhammad Gaddafi. Are you with me? The truth, Jesus, stands in front of Pilate. He is the one through which everything was created. He was right in the beginning. He's standing in front of a governor in Rome who wants to accuse, who who brings the accusations brought against him forward and says, I now need to make a decision on this. I want to read you this beautiful tale. This is John 18, verse 37. So Pilate said to him, then you are king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. This is why I was born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to truth. Don't you think that is a massive, massive, massive statement? Don't you see in what Jesus is saying here that truth as an absolute is extremely important. This is why I was born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of truth, who is a friend of the truth and belongs to truth, hears and listens carefully to my voice, to which Pilate said to him scornfully, what is truth? See, the world doesn't know him. 2 Peter 1 verse 3, we are now starting to descend. Everyone that is wanting to take a sleep, wake up. Open the rollers. Down, we're going to... We're going to land. We are on our way to two stories. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life of godliness. Through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. That's the one that came to testify to truth. Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on earth, which have only temporal value. Those other three on through spoke about the temporal value. And then, for you died to this world. And your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3. Uh, Alex, if you go over to that what is truth question. We're going to speak about these two stories. We have Muammar Gaddafi who reigned in Libya since 1969, and a lot of wrong happened. England came in and started the fight because they wanted to set the Libyans free from this rulership, this, the, the dictatorship of Muammar Gaddafi. When England came to a point of deciding, because a civil war broke out, of deciding to take away their embassy, from Libya, Muammar Gaddafi made the following statement. 
England is to be deleted from all of the Libyan maps. So when you go into Libya and you find a map that came from his regime, you will see that Britain is only a sea, and you have Scotland and Wales. They don't exist. And if you looked at the map, it didn't exist. Why? Because Muammar Gaddafi said so. But when you actually sailed and didn't expect land, you would die. Because it wasn't sea. The whole of Britain was there. So the fact that this dictator said it doesn't make it true. But literally, it was the decision that he made. Lou Wallace, the second name. Lou Wallace was an agnostic. So basically like an atheist, but a bit more arrogant. That's, that's the only way that I can explain it. When I get to do with atheists, it's almost easier to deal with them than with agnostics. Agnostics brings brain power with. And they go like, I am God, and whatever I say, that's God. Atheists, they're easy to convince. So, agnostic, he's the governor of New Mexico. He's totally against God. And this whole idea of Christ is annoying him. His wife is a Methodist Christian. She, she goes into a Methodist church, and his wife has been praying for him all along. Until one day that a friend of Lou Griffith, um, Wallace, came to him and said, Lou, it's obvious that you hate Christianity and this Christ figure. Why don't you write a book? And in your book, you make the statement against Christ. Do you know how much this book will sell for internationally? Now you are sharp, do this. So he went about. He spoke to his wife and his wife packed up crying. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe that her husband was going to write a book against Christ. So Lou Wallace started studying, went to the library and started studying the life of Jesus Christ for years. And then he started writing his book. And in starting to write his book and putting the pieces together, he went, now why would I write a book against a person and his existence if everything that I've studied shows to his existence more than I can study on Plato or Aristotle or anyone else that's a figure in history. So all the facts line up. And then he started writing, okay, maybe if I take the different approach. This is almost like Lee Strubel. Like almost, but he literally was writing this book. And in stating, well, if he did exist, what did he stand for? He started reading what Jesus stood for. And I'm like, well, why would you say this if you are not who you claim to be? The book that Lee Wallace wrote at the end was after conversion, the book of Ben-Ur. Lee Wallace wrote the book of Ben-Ur. 
If you haven't seen the movie, Ben Hur, this is like, like, it's an old school movie, but a really good one. So I'm sure you'll, you'll be able to find it if you haven't watched it. But don't expect any, any special effects. <laughs> but a great and a beautiful book. So he converted because what he did was he gave in to absolute truth. He followed all three of the other statements on truth. And then came to this point of stating, I was wrong. He is right. And he gave in to absolute truth. We're going to end off with two scriptures. Sorry, Hebrews 2, 1, one scripture. For this reason, that is because of God's final revelation in his son, Jesus, and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels, we must pay much closer attention than ever to the things that we have heard so that we do not in any way drift away from truth. And we're going to continue to stick to this topic. As a congregation, we need to ensure and make sure that as part of his body, there is one person that makes us church, and that is the Holy Spirit. And that is the Spirit of Jesus. And they testify to the will of the Father. And so we will live by this.